0: It was a normal day, normal evening. It was like 6, 7 p.m. And I'm walking home from the grocery store in Austin, Texas. And I remember feeling these immense feelings of joy and enthusiasm and gratitude and excitement for my life. And nothing was going on. I didn't have like a hot date that night. I didn't. wasn't going to a cool event. Nothing really cool was going on at work. I didn't get any good news. But like these immense emotions of of enthusiasm just overtook my whole body. And I felt such an incredible feeling of gratitude. And that's when I had an aha moment when I realized I'm like, oh my gosh, our natural state as human beings, who we, who we just are at our core are grateful, loving, enthusiastic beings. And I made the the connection. The aha moment was like, oh, I don't have to go become grateful. I don't need to go add love into my life. I just have to remove the blockages within me that are stopping the gratitude from naturally coming out of me. Thank you. Think-
1: Today's guest um, is an author and CEO and founder of The Daily Shifts, an app designed to help people build healthy habits and find inner peace featured on ABC News. In his new book, Holy Shit, We're Alive, Doug shows his readers how to live with intention, trust themselves, and show up every day for a meaningful life. to be honest, I love the name of the book, and um, mm-hmm. it's closely related to gratitude, in, in my opinion. Uh, he has a really interesting life story, and I'm, um, I'm really curious on, on finding out more, and I'm sure that you are as well. Doug, welcome to the Gratitude Podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to share my story with you guys.
1: My pleasure, so um, let us know a little bit more about you um you you changed your your course in life when you were in your twenties uh, from the life that you were supposed to live, like uh, it happened with many of us we We thought that we were supposed to live a certain kind of life, and we uh, we chose to live a different one because we saw that it wasn't the best fit for us. And um uh, yeah, where did that take you?
0: Yeah, I love the title of your podcast, um, The Gratitude Podcast, because as you were saying, I was raised in, you know, upper middle class, conservative, white, Mormon Utah. Um, and if anyone's never been to Utah, it's a very strong Mormon culture, and you kind of have this this map laid out for you and your life's kind of planned out for you and you're supposed to do everything that you're supposed to do. So, you know, it's go to school and get good grades and participate in sports in the community. And then, um, as you turn 19, there's this coming of age ritual where you get served on a Mormon mission. So I don't know if you've, anyone's ever seen them play the book of Mormon or, or that, I mean, that's kind of a, it's a pun and a off, but like the elders, the missionaries, and then you get called to serve for two years and you, It's this really big ritual. Um, And then after that, you're supposed to come home and get married and have babies and, you know, finish college and get a good job and buy a house and have a nice car. And, you know, it's everything you're supposed to. And so what I realized was I was kind of following this trend, but I didn't have a lot of gratitude in my life. I wasn't feeling fulfilled and I was doing doing what I was told, like I said, and there was a missing piece. And what really, what happened where, where my life really started to change, um, was, you know, after high school for me, there's this time to be prepared to go on your Mormon mission. And there's a level and standard of living standards that you're supposed to abide to before you go just to keep, you know, stay in purity, um, And so the months leading up to your, your service mission, you know, there's, there's no sex, no alcohol, no, you know, no pornography. Like it's very high standard of living to to prepare yourself to go on this mission. And before I left, you know, I had the big farewell party and I said goodbye to everyone and I had my flight booked and it was like two nights before I was supposed to leave. And I had a girlfriend at the time and we had slipped up and had broken the rules of the, of the standard. Um, and I was so ashamed, had so much guilt after that experience. I couldn't, I couldn't tell it, I couldn't come clean at that point because I'd already said goodbye to everyone. So I kind of had broken the rules consciously, swept it under the rug, and continued to go on my service mission. And then nine months into my mission, because you know, when you're out on your mission, there's no TV, there's no music, you are not on the internet, you don't have your smartphone, you don't have, you know, and so it's very focused missionary work. And so I the guilt built up and built up with me. And then nine months into my service mission, I came clean because I felt so bad. And I actually got sent home early, um, which is a big black mark on you. It's very shameful and people gossip and talk about you and you get sent home early. And I remember that was kind of the first time in my life where life hadn't gone according to plan and I felt like I was kind of the outcast or kind of took on this, this role that, you know, my community was mad at me. God was mad at me and was felt like that was kind of the first time in my life where uh, life hadn't gone according to the way I thought it was supposed to go. Um, and was really kind of starting to feel a bit lost at that point. So that was the, kind of the first major turning point in my life.
1: Wow. To be honest, I, I really didn't know these things. And for me, it's, uh, it's shocking that, that these things happen nowadays and yeah. that it's, it's so strict and yeah. Oh my God. Um. I can only imagine uh, what you went through and how hard it must have been. Um, but I'm guessing now it might have actually been a blessing. Am I right?
0: Totally. And for those, I mean, it's a very tight knit. The cult, the the Mormon culture, especially in Utah, it's. Ve- I mean, almost everyone where I grew up was Mormon. And so it was kind of like I was in this bubble. I didn't know what it was like kind of outside of the world, really. And I was, you're so consumed by this. And so, you know, when I got sent home early, I felt a lot of, you know, pressure from my community. And, um, and while it was difficult, uh, I still wanted to, like, make it right with God and make it right with my community. So I tried to get back onto good behavior so I could go back out and finish but with, you know just like you said it was a blessing in disguise what was crazy about it was while i was in that process of like trying to you know get my standard of living back in the right order to go finish my mission you know my life changed dramatically when one day my father called me into the living room and announced that he had stage 4 colon cancer which okay. is basically a death sentence and so from that moment on, it basically put my mission on the back burner. And I was able to actually be home at that time and spend, you know, the last quality year, you know, after my dad was diagnosed, he passed away 14 months later. So, But for 12 of those 14 months, he was in pretty pretty good health. And so I was able to really spend the final year of his life with him. Um, before he passed, and looking back at it, it was like, I'm so actually extremely grateful for going through that experience of being sent home from my service mission um dishonorably um but I was able to get the last good year with my dad before he passed wow.
1: that that's very touching and um, yeah. Would if that, who would have known that this is how how it actually was supposed to be and yeah you you were lucky that you that you got sent home and you got to, to spend this time with your father and yeah i think it's it's amazing how yeah. that happened
0: Yeah, and you could have never predicted that. I think the universe works in mysterious ways. But another thing that's interesting to me is, you know, I'll never forget um, when, you know, maybe a night or two before he passed away, um, he, I remember he had hospice care and he was basically unconscious. And I remember sitting at the base of the stairs by his door the night before he passed. And my mother put her arm around me you know, it was late at night. It was almost you know, 12, one in the morning. And she put her arm around me and it was basically like, as, a, as telling me, you know, hey, this is it, like he's gonna die. And I remember having this an, an immense wave of emotion and sadness and grief and loss just starting to come and pour up through me. And so I start sobbing uncontrollably all for about four seconds. And then my mind was basically saying, hey, don't cry in front of mom. Don't be weak. Don't, you know, you be the strong, tough guy. And it was just this, these stories that told myself that I need to be strong and weak. So I didn't never knew, I was never taught how to process my emotions. And so when I cut that emotional release off, right, I just shoved all of the sadness and grief back down inside of me and never Mm -hmm. dealt with it right? I wasn't ever taught how to deal with your emotions. I had to be the the strong, tough guy. And so that actually was just such a disservice to me because instead of feeling my emotions, instead of processing my my emotions, I was suppressing them. And I suppressed them deep down inside of me. and never dealt with them. And when you suppress your emotions, they don't go away, right? They stay inside of you and they fester. And so I started creating kind of this build up of emotions of shame and guilt of being sent home for my mission and the embarrassment. Never really dealt with that. Plus the grief and loss of my father never dealt with that and shoved that down deeper inside of me. And so I'm starting to build almost like this, you know, I like to use the analogy of like a teapot. You put a teapot mm-hmm. on the stove and the steam starts to boil and boil and boil until the steam comes out. So all of these emotions are starting to boil up inside of me because I just didn't know how to process them. And so this is kind of like the the building up of this quarter life crisis I have in my late twenties.
1: Wow. Hmm. Uh, I I think in general um, we as men have a have a challenge with processing our emotions and um, to be to be tough to be. Um, like a rock for other people. We we don't know what to do with the emotions and we just cut them off. And yeah, like you said, it's, it's not the healthiest way to go about it. Um,
0: yeah, I remember on that note, I remember after my dad died, my best friend Scotty called me and he was like, dude, how are you doing? Like I'm here for, I mean, being an incredible great friend, like what can I do for you? I'm here for you. Let's talk about it. I'm, you know, I'm in your corner being, you know, just a loving friend. And I remember being like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. And I got off the phone with him. And I remember thinking like, I'm not doing good, but I don't know how to communicate that. I didn't even know what to say to him. And I remember being like frozen and being like, in deep down inside of me, I'm screaming like, I need help. This is not okay. But I didn't know how to express that and vocalize that. And so once again, just suppressing and pushing down these emotions, I didn't want to feel.
1: Exactly, exactly. Wow. Whew, this, is, this is incredibly open and vulnerable of you. And I really appreciate that. And yeah. I'm sure that uh, many of our listeners either um, identified with that quite a lot, or they might see men uh, in their lives that tend to do this as well. And uh, yeah, I think it's it's important that that we get to talk about this because, like you said, communicating these things is is quite hard, especially in those kinds of situations. And um yeah, when, when we're able to understand that it's um it's great for us and it's also great for for the other people that are going through this that we can help them better and even though <laughs> um it's not that easy to to help a person that's not able to to ask for help when when they actually need it so yeah i think that's that's so powerful um but getting back a a little bit to to uh your new book i think the name is so expressive and um when when i'm thinking about the name it's it immediately connects me with gratitude like just the the realization that we are alive right now, yeah. like, yeah. dude, I'm alive, like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Giving a gift that supports someone dear to your heart can be a real blessing. Wahoo! You made it very simple for you to offer a memorable gift that your loved one will surely cherish for the rest of their life. Help him or her feel appreciated and valued right now. They might need it more than you think. Go to georgianbanta.com slash woohoo or visit the link in the description to find out more. How did you come up with the name?
0: Um, The name, that's such a great question because, I mean, I didn't feel like I was embodying that mentality. You know, holy shit, we're alive is such a, like, punch of 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 a title. And really what happened was after kind of, like, my dad died, I've been sent home for my mission and really the, the, the story that was driving my whole life at that point was when I was in second grade, I was overweight. I was kind of the overweight fat kid growing up and I was bullied as a kid. And so in second grade, when I don't really have this self-awareness, um, you're not self-aware when you're, you know, when you're six years old and, um, because I was bullied as, bullied as the fat kid, the internal narrative that I told myself that something was that something was wrong with me. And because I'm fat, something's wrong with me and I don't deserve love. And now I have to go earn and hustle my way into the world and prove to other people why I'm a valuable human. Because obviously you can tell that something's wrong with me because of my physical appearance, so now I have to prove to you. And so That really was the stem of everything I did from second grade. And so it's like, I'm hustling for my worth in elementary school, junior high and high school to prove to you why you should love me because I'm the fat kid. I also get some from my mission. My dad dies. I don't know how to process my emotions. And so I'm building all of these, I'm putting all of these, in a sense, blockages inside of me that are stopping the natural outpouring of love from expressing itself inside of me. And so I have all of these traumatic experiences and they're building up and building up and they're festering like I was saying. And then in my late 20s, I started my healing journey. And um, early, in my early 20s, I ended up making a ton of money in a sales organization. I worked in uh, commission sales. And by the time I was 24, I'd made a million dollars. And really the motive behind making the money was that I was so desperately searching a way to find an asset in the world because I was thinking, okay, I'm the fat kid. My dad's died, right? I don't belong in my community. What's a way to gain respect among my peers and community and our, our system, you know, um, believes that those who make money are seen in a higher status. And so, okay, maybe if I can go make money, Then I can show people why I'm lovable and why I have value and worth. And so I went and made a ton of money with recruiting and sales and training and managing and, you know, made a million dollars by the time I was 24. And I'm really just screaming for love because I didn't feel like I was lovable because something was wrong with me. And so all of these blockages are being built up inside of me. And then in my late 20s, I start this healing journey where I, I mean, I do everything under the sun. I start working with therapists and psychologists and do sound healings and yoga and meditation. And I do a lot of, you know, spiritual psychedelic journeys working with, you know, compounds like ayahuasca and psilocybin with professional trained shamans. And I traveled the world and went to Bali and did, you know, anything and anything that was some sort of self healing and along the journey I was able to remove some of these blockages that were stopping me from enjoying my life. And as I removed the trauma of my dad dying, as I removed the trauma of feeling like I was the fat kid, as I removed the trauma of not being enough, as I removed these blockages, my natural state of life was love and excitement and enthusiasm and gratitude. And when I felt that rush for the first time after I've like healed my stories, my first thought was like, Holy shit, this is what it feels like to be alive. This is incredible. I, I've been so blocked up my whole life, and my natural state is love. And if I can just remove these blockages, being alive and being human feels incredible. And hence that's why the title of my book is that way, because I believe at our core, our natural human, we all have trauma. We all have had experiences that caused hurt and pain and sorrow and loss but if we can just remove them our natural essence just who we are as our, our our core human being is we are love we are joy we are excitement we are connection so we don't have to add those attributes to our lives we just have to get rid of the things that are blocking those emotions from coming out hence you know the title of my book
1: wow that makes so much sense and yeah i can totally relate to that to that feeling of aliveness and um, to the realization that we are alive. I think um, this is very, very closely related to gratitude because Mm -hmm. it's like, uh, okay, we're living day by day, but are we really feeling alive? Are we really realizing that we are alive and this is something to be excited about? And yeah, I think this is uh, this is such a such a great exclamation, um, such a great uh, way of expressing that aliveness and that realization. And yeah, by the way, um, when was the first time that you experienced gratitude? Like not just the concept, but uh, actually experiencing. It as your own uh, something very personal that uh, that made you realize it. Uh, like it's not just something some words, but it's actually something that that you live something uh, palpable for you.
0: Yeah, I think you know a, a moment that comes to my mind, and that's such a beautiful question. So thank you for asking that. But it was. At once I realized I had trauma, you know, I, didn't, I never would have, I never, you never, I never would have guessed I had trauma. I was like this masculine, bro-y kind of like sales guy, and you know, I always thought therapy or healing was kind of like weird and not up my alley. And then I got to a point in my life when I was 27. I was like, oh, dang, I've got a lot of work to do. I do have a lot of trauma. You know, I was sexually abused as a kid. My dad died. I got sent home from my Mormon mission. I believed I was the fat kid. I had my heart broken like, you know, a lot of intense experiences that have happened. And I started to do the healing work and I committed to it. And it's not easy and it takes a lot of work. So I got really into having a daily gratitude practice of. Getting into yoga, meditation, journaling, I was seeing a therapist. I, you know, changed my diet, I changed my sleep patterns, I started exercising more, and you know, I started reading different books. And it was a process. And, you know, after a long period of time, you know, months and months of consistent work, I remember it was like a I was living in Austin, Texas at the time. And I remember I was very much. Had created these really beautiful rituals and beautiful habits. And I remember it was like a Wednesday, nothing special was going on. Like it was a normal day, normal evening. It was like six, 7 PM. And I'm walking home from the grocery store in Austin, Texas. Um, and I remember feeling these immense feelings of joy and an enthusiasm and gratitude and excitement for my life. And nothing was going on. I didn't have like a hot date that night. I didn't, wasn't going to a cool event. Nothing really cool was going on in work. I didn't get any good news, but like these immense emotions of, of enthusiasm just in, overtook my whole body. And I felt such an incredible feeling of gratitude. And that's when I had an aha moment when I realized I'm like, oh my gosh, our natural state as human beings, who we, who we just are at our core, are grateful, loving, enthusiastic beings. And I made the, the connection, that aha moment was like, oh, I don't have to go become grateful. I don't need to go add love into my life. I just have to remove the blockages within me that are stopping the gratitude from naturally coming out of me. And I realized I had done the work and I had removed those blockages and had that aha moment. I'm like, we can feel this immense, overwhelming love and excitement for life. And we don't have to do anything than get our junk out of the way and it'll naturally come up. And so it was, like I said, it was a random weekday, 7 p.m., walking up from the grocery store and just feeling fully alive. And I'm like, wow, we can feel like this all the time if we can just do our healing work and, and clear the junk.
1: Wow. (laughs) <laughs> that's so interesting it's so similar to my own experience uh with gratitude and how i um started on this journey and it's it was very similar in the sense that uh, nothing had happened on the outside but i experienced uh an in- amazing feeling of, of gratitude and i felt it in all of my body and mm. uh yeah very interesting how similar that was um to to what you experienced and yeah it's it's so interesting that um nothing changed or nothing had to be outside of us uh for us to experience that and um i think that's, that's very interesting to to ponder about um mm especially after achieving some things uh, in life, just one random moment can, can get you to, to experience such, uh, such joy, such excitement.
0: Yeah, and I realized that a lot of people are trying to solve an internal problem with something external, right? We feel we're broken, we're unhealed we have trauma and the way we think that we can heal it is by getting something outside of us you know it's the new car it's the better job it's finally getting healthy it's finding the partner and we think that when that happens then we'll feel good inside but the reality is is you can't you know you need to fix your internal problem by going inward it's not something you find external and i was you know lucky enough to um see the benefits and rewards of doing that work. And, and, and what I'm you know, hoping and, and my intention with my book is to inspire those to do the same. And I leave tools and techniques and ideas and concepts to really spark a new way of thinking for the reader so that they too can, you know, look at some of the stuff that may be holding them back from naturally feeling those immense feelings of gratitude and joy in their lives
1: give us some ideas. So uh, what is one thing that we can do to, to get rid of some of the things that are holding us back from feeling grateful?
0: Yeah, I think the first thing we need to do is we need to become aware of the story we're telling ourselves about why we're not happy. And the way we diagnose our story is, you know, one of my favorite quotes, probably my number one favorite quote is from psychologist. Um, and philosopher Carl Jung, and he says, until we make the subconscious conscious, it will guide our life and we'll call it fate. And what he means by that is, you know, everyone I've met, I don't care where you're from in life, that something happened when you were a kid. And it doesn't have to be like this big, crazy traumatic experience, but something happened when we were between ages of like, you know, five and 14, and we created a worldview about how the world is, when really it was just based off of a single experience that that might not be true. And so we have this story that we tell ourselves about how life is or what we need to have happen for everything to be okay in the world. And it guides our whole life. My story was that I was the fat kid. And really, the, the core root of the fat kid story was that something was wrong with me. And because something's wrong with me, I'm unlovable. And then I went and hustled you know for the next 25 years of my life to prove that wrong to prove to you why i'm level one it was just this constant restlessness and so the tool the main tool i share in the book is first we need to diagnose our story so the question i have for the listeners is the way you do that is i always ask you know what are you absolutely would you be absolutely devastated or frightened or scared if people found out about you like what are you trying to hide from the world Know, what's the story you tell yourself? Is it that you're too fat, that you're too skinny, that you know you're ugly, that you're not smart enough, that you're not good enough, that you're a fraud, that you're a liar, you know you have a, maybe you have a substance abuse issue, whatever it may be. What is the one thing you're trying to hide from the world? And then once you diagnose that, the question I was asked is like, where did you learn that? That story about why you're not good enough? Where did you learn it? And really, when you diagnose it, you know the when and where, it it plays back to a specific memory you have where a traumatic experience happened. And then once you kind of diagnose the situation, then you can start to do the healing work. And once you realize that usually the story you're telling yourself has nothing to do with you and it is just a story, then you can start doing the work on it. Because I think the awareness behind it is extremely important because if you're not aware of your story, like Carl Jung said, unconscious, right? you don't have an opportunity to heal and make a new choice. And so I think just becoming aware of our stories can provide us a lot of insight and a a potential breakthrough to stepping into a more natural state of gratitude and love for our lives.
1: That makes so much sense. And um, I think a good example of this is um, seeing someone else's habits, for instance, seeing that they they are doing some things uh, on and on and they they might not j- just not be aware that they're doing those things you know and uh if they would be aware for instance they could have a choice and they could do things differently and i think it's uh it's very similar to the things that are going on inside of us as well we we have some habits not just in the things that we do but in the in the emotions that we have in the way we think and the story that we, we tell ourselves and uh, yeah, when we we become aware of it and th- that's when we can choose to to go on a different path. I think that's that's awesome and yeah, especially in those things that we are most ashamed of, um, mm-hmm. the things that we, we try to hide, that's where uh, some gems are actually hidden and yeah, that's. I think that's that's very good. So, uh, where can our audience um, get your book?
0: Yeah, it's on Amazon. It's live today. Holy shit, we're alive! Um, and I also I love hearing personal stories and connecting. So, if anyone has any questions or has feedback on the book, um, you can message me on Instagram at Doug underscore Cartwright. Um, but like I said, the book is is live now and and on, on Amazon.
1: Awesome, awesome. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you for being open and vulnerable with us and for sharing your story and for being such a great guest of the Gratitude Podcast. Thank you, Doug.
0: Thank you for, thank you for having me.
1: Hey, Gratitude Seeker. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this interview. I really appreciate it. And if you could think of one person that would also benefit from it, Share it with them. It might actually be the inspiration that they need to make their day or maybe even their life much better. Thank you so much once again. This has been Georgian Benta. Don't forget to keep seeking and spreading gratitude.